The pandemic has been huge for one recent industry trend, virtual brands, but they may not be as risk-free as many people think. Hello, I'm Jonathan Mays, Editor-in-Chief of Restaurant Business, and in this week's episode of A Deeper Dive, I speak with Robert Byrne, Director of Consumer and Industry Insights at Technomic, to talk about this trend. A virtual brand exists only to provide takeout and delivery, does not have a brick-and-mortar location, and could operate out of an existing restaurant or a ghost kitchen, which makes it relatively risk-free, at least from a cost standpoint. Restaurant chains and delivery companies have been creating them during the pandemic almost as much as they've made chicken wings or burgers. Chili's, Dickies, and numerous other chains have created virtual brands themselves, and a lot of these brands happen to sell chicken wings. Robert and I talk about this trend. He helps talk about how consumers could view these virtual brands, and we discuss the risks associated with them, and whether the trend will last or be a flash in the pan. Please have a listen. Okay, I'm here with Robert Byrne. Robert, welcome to the podcast again. Thank you, Jonathan. Always a pleasure to be here and, and speak with you and share some good conversation and ideas. Super. Uh, so, um, over the past, I don't know, three weeks or so, I've we have been absolutely bombarded by new, um, uh, new uh, virtual brands, um, uh, Chili's, um, Robert Earl, <clears throat> uh, Dickies. Um, some numerous, numerous, numerous companies are uh, developing their own sort of virtual brands to operate uh, delivery-only kitchens. Um, of course, third-party delivery services are, have been doing this for a bit. Uh, and, of course, um, as a journalist, sir, I when I see all sorts of people jumping on a bandwagon, my habit is to jump off and start looking for problems in the axles. Yeah. Am I yeah, right no, to be— Am I right to be skeptical? I, I absolutely agree that you are, um, because to me, when I think about this, this feels an awful lot uh, like that period. And gosh, I, I'm going to say it was maybe 15 years ago, give or take, um, and it may have been a little longer that it started. When you saw casual dining restaurants immediately start to bloat their menus with everything under the sun because they felt they had to have this. This is something they have to have uh, in order to appeal to a broader set of potential guests in their restaurant. This is something they have to have to avoid the veto vote. This is something they have to have um, to, to, to be able to be competitive. And it, it just feels an awful lot like that to me. And I don't know if that's, that's been your experience or if my timing's right, but, but you see what has happened of late. Um, actually, if you go back to, say, 2013, 2014 is when we started to notice it in our, our data um, you know, you took a hard turn in the opposite direction with skew reductions, menu reduction overall. Um, things just become overweight and, and, and um, you know, bloated. And there is also the paradox of choice when mm -hmm. it comes to consumers. Too many choices is not necessarily a good thing. And in many cases, it's actually a bad thing. There's an efficiency curve there. So so this is my initial take because there's a, there are a lot of different bits and pieces for us to unpack, but, but, um, you know, like you say, uh, you're skeptical because when everybody gets onto something, it's the old adage when the, the, uh, person who's shining your shoes is giving you stock tips, it's time to get the heck out. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so that's, that's what it feels like to me to some degree. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I see, I mean, look, I see the, I see definitely the advantages. It's not like I'm, I'm, um, you know, blind to that. I mean, it's like these are relatively low risk mm -hmm. ideas. It's not like you have to start a 
a restaurant from the ground up. You know, you want to start, you want to start a chicken wing restaurant. You you have to go and borrow a bunch of money and, and then, you know, and then, and then start selling chicken wings out of your brick and mortar yeah. location. The problem, where, where's this? You just, apparently Chili's can just start selling chicken wings, start making chicken wings in its existing chick kitchens and advertise a different brand on online. I guess my concern is, um, I mean, a, are you, you know, I mean, are, are you potentially, it would seem to me that consumers want, um, like if you're doing this, like, yep. so the, the Chili's rest, I guess the Chili's is a perfect example. Like you go mm-hmm. into Chili's, you go into a Chili's and there are multiple factors why you might like that restaurant, right? So, um, and the food is one of them, but service is another, ambiance is another, um, speed, you know, that sort of thing. Whereas with right. delivery and takeout, that food must had better be good. Yep. And we know that the delivery and takeout model um, compromises the quality and the taste and flavor and the experience when it comes to the food itself. Mm-hmm. There's just no way around it. Nobody has perfected a way to get something fried into somebody's house in the period of time that you need and still have it be all that good. Now, now wings, I see what's happening there. Wings do actually travel fairly well. Yeah. If you think about it, relative to some of the other things that people have tried to deliver. So so that I understand. But but you hit the nail on the head when you're talking about, um, you know, how people view restaurants and how they use restaurants, traditionally speaking. Mm-hmm. So I spoke with a gentleman at a conference who had been in the industry as an operator for a number of years, and he was talking about, you say chili specifically, that's what brought it to mind, a specific dessert item that they had that his daughter loved and craved. My whole presentation that day was about craveability. Mm-hmm. That, that's never going to go away, and that's part of the reason that wings will to some degree work until you have this saturation of the market. But anyway, this gentleman's talking about chilies, talking about a dessert that his daughter loves, and he said, it's just a, you know, a, a chocolate cake-style dessert. I can make it at home. She's craving something else. It's not the the food itself that she's craving. This was his assertion. And he's absolutely right. When we break down what diners think is important in that decision-making process, um, you know, how important is food quality or restaurant cleanliness when you're selecting where you're going to source a meal, right? Mm-hmm. We don't see things like digital um, and, and ordering through technology and uh, super close to home and, and, and speed of visit in that top 10. Um, and that's consistent across both limited service and full service. And we see some different things. Obviously, those KPIs for consumers, those key performance things that consumers want out of restaurants, our food taste and flavor, our food quality. But there's friendliness. There's mm-hmm. the service. There's the, the value that's offered through that atmosphere and ambiance, the value that's offered through that service. And here's the biggest one. We've seen in, in, in recent quarters leading up to Q2 um, this idea that a brand is trustworthy. We've seen that jump mm. exponentially. In Q1, it was about 85% of consumers that said it's either important or very important that a brand be trustworthy when they're making their decision. That jumped to 89%, 90% in Q2. So immediately, this, this need to trust a restaurant in order to make that decision jumped from being, eh, you know, sort of a mid-tier attribute to a top 10 attribute. And this is not out of the clear blue sky. Um, people want to know a brand. They want to have some familiarity with it. We've seen it in a lot of our qualitative data, people saying, I want to know that I can trust this brand to keep me safe. 
um, to to stand behind the product that they're offering and the safety involved with that. But also, um, you know, my, my, my loyalty is built out of that trust as well. So, you know, knowing that 90% are saying this is either important or very important, that's but that's kind of an overwhelming majority, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And and the change that I I, I think we see, um, to me, it, it, it feels there are things about the strength and the, the momentum behind this that you know certainly the pandemic hit the accelerator on a lot of things, digital ordering, um, and and uh, delivery, and now we're seeing it kind of creep over into delivery kitchens, cloud, uh, mm-hmm. cloud kitchens, ghost kitchens, whatever you want to call them. Um, and, and, and so, you know, we have asked consumers about delivery only kitchens and tried to understand what that engagement looks like right now. And what we found was that, um, just, a, a, among across the country, you know, sort of a representative sample here, about 29% have actually ordered from a delivery kitchen or mm-hmm. were aware of it to some degree. So hmm. still a minority. And we know that that's probably going to be a geographical, uh, geographically based too. Yeah. It is higher 18 to 34 year olds. That's going to be up to 38% that have used one, but that's still a majority that haven't used one. And, um, we'll get to it in a minute, but then, uh, you know, the idea of ordering from a restaurant that you know has no physical location, th- that that's another uh, can of worms entirely. Mm-hmm. And um, it just doesn't really play out that there is this screaming demand for that in the long term. Conversely, what we've seen in the data that showed a huge spike from all the quarters leading up to Q2 of 2020, we're still in the process of collecting our Q3 data, of course, but from all those quarters, you know, we ask about the uh, um, the the enjoyment that people get out of the social experience of restaurants. The statement quite literally is visiting restaurants is one of the top social activities that I enjoy. Right. And we saw that number jump substantially, significantly in Q2. And what that says to me is you've just taken away something that consumers didn't know how much they loved. Yeah. So, you know, it jumped from about in the, the, the low 70s up to about 78%. Significant jump when you talk about the sample size that we're dealing with, which is, you know, 100,000 consumers per year that we're polling on this, right? Mm -hmm. So that's a majority that are saying, I love eating in restaurants. I can't right now, but I love it. And that pent-up demand, again, as I said, it's showing up in our qualitative data. This is a temporary Band-Aid on a very large wound for restaurants. And I've looked at some of the math. We can talk about the math if you want. I think some of it works to a degree. But that only works if the order flow is there. And with mm-hmm. pent-up demand, once we return to something that looks like normal, I, I, I'm skeptical that the, the demand is still going to be there. Right, right. Well, it's not like there's not a, a, a huge number of restaurants, even after all these alleged closer, closures. It's not like there isn't a huge number of restaurants that are already fulfilling a lot of the demand for this right now. Um, oh, completely. Yeah, and uh, so I mean, it it's to me it sometimes seems like it's you know gumming up the works a little bit, where <laughs> you have you know you just have the sudden addition of all of these these brands um, uh, that you didn't uh, you know that you know that doesn't that don't exist outside of the you know outside of the delivery world, 
Um, right. And uh, I mean, it, it's, um, I mean, I guess get, getting back to the one one of the points that you brought up, which is which is a trust trustworthiness of the brand. That would seem yeah. to be sort of an uphill battle for these for these concepts because um, you know you in a big way. To, yeah, that would seem to be a challenge for them. It, it, in a big way, and, and here's one of the other things that the data is is, is starting to uh, uh, show us. And, um, you know, you can make the inferences any way you like. I, I like to try to find the connections in here. Younger consumers in particular uh, are, are more likely to spend their money in accord with their values. Um, you actually wrote a brilliant piece uh, just uh, uh, was published today, perhaps even yesterday, um, about how restaurants are doing okay for the first time in a while, and it's because people have money mm-hmm. and they're not spending it on other things, right? Right. But that doesn't mean they're they're spending it frivolously, and that doesn't mean they're spending it on things that they don't know and don't trust. Right. And and part of building trust for younger consumers has to do with their interest in spending their money in accord with their values. There's a lot more values based shopping going on. What we saw over time um, when we, we kind of looked at this, this particular question, um, does this brand, you know, is it important to you that this particular brand that you're choosing actually shares your values, that you have uh, a sort of a shared sense of, like, this is a brand that, that has values that are similar to my own. This is a brand that is socially responsible. Now, younger consumers have always kind of been at that 60% level for folks saying, yeah, social responsibility is important to me when I'm selecting a restaurant. It was older consumers that were sort of, you know, 10 percentage points below that, maybe about Mm -hmm. 50%. Here comes Q2 and all of the things that are happening in the world, and all we have is time to focus on the news flow, right? We don't have places to go, our vacations to take, our... Our, our commutes and other things to distract us. We have, you know, the internet and we have um, uh, Tiger King or whatever it is that you're watching, right? All of a sudden, older consumers now are sharing that sentiment. I want to know that this brand is socially responsible. I want to know that this brand shares my values. If there's no brand to look at, mm-hmm. if there's no personality to that brand, no understanding of who they are, if it's just food, it's just a commodity. Where where's the loyalty come from? Where do you build that relationship with the customer? We know that this is what's happening, and we know that it's trending in this direction. Um, you know, be it uh, uh, the the um, renewed momentum behind the uh, movement toward racial equality, diversity and inclusion, be it um, renewed interest in sustainability, uh, you know, or, or being environmentally conscious, whatever or conscious, whatever it is. Folks are more and more interested in getting behind businesses that speak to them in that way. If all you are is a virtual restaurant, what, what are you saying to anybody? Right. Yeah. You know, what? how are you connecting with them in that way? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And it, it just kind of fascinates to me because it, 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 what that does is it says that, okay, once you get some people hooked on the food, yeah. what, now, what now? Right. Now, now, what do you got? What do you got to keep me coming back? Where, yeah. where is this going? And it's, it's, uh, uh, you know, it's that brand equity that everybody craves. All the companies are like, how do we build that equity with our, you know, what do we have a right to own? What do we? Well, if all you have is food and a and a digital footprint, uh, you know, then 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 what you have is you've basically become you know, something that you probably didn't set out to be and may look good from a retail perspective. You might think if I could just be the Amazon of restaurants, I'd mm-hmm. be stoked. I'd be super excited. 
I don't think that's how consumers view food. That's yeah. certainly not how they food the experience around food. The experiential component's important. I just, you know what I mean? Again, it mm-hmm. becomes a, a commodity at that point, and there's nothing for them to gravitate toward. There's nothing for them to, to you know, wrap their arms or, or brains around other than just, yeah, well, th- these, are, these are pretty good wings, right? Right, yeah. Well, and they better be pretty good wings, which I guess <laughs> they have to be really good. If you're going to do a virtual brand, the food really has to shine through. Um, yeah. Because you're going to need to get, because um, you're, you're, that's how... I mean, that's the only thing that you're going to be able to, 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 I mean, you can, you know, you can target, uh, you know, you can target markets, uh, you know, where the demand is highest. You can do various things uh, to get, um, you know, to get, uh, you know, consumers, uh, you know, you know, uh, digital consumers to come to your, your, uh, your non-existent restaurant. Um, <laughs> but like, but you, you have, you know, that's, that's, that's basically your pull. You don't have, I mean, yeah. maybe you have convenience, um, but you don't, yeah. consumers don't know you're, one of the things is that consumers don't know you're there unless they, they go online and look for chicken wings. Whereas, yeah. you know, like McDonald's, one of the reasons why McDonald's is so successful is you can't go two miles without seeing one. You cannot yep. go two miles, I dare you actually, to go out and try to drive two miles without seeing McDonald's <laughs> as long as you go. And that's 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 a main part. They 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 are on the major commuter routes. They um, and and then you can see them. It's the same with Starbucks, and it's the same with Dunkin'. It's the same with all of these other restaurants. You see them on a daily basis. And even if you are not actually going there, their restaurant are, is a billboard. And so all yep. you've got all of these billboards all over the place um, already. You have uh, you know you have Wingstop, and you know you might drive past a Wingstop. You might drive past a Burger mm-hmm. King. You might drive past you know whatever. And and those restaurants are sort of their own advertisement. Whereas if you are going to start a chicken wing restaurant on, on the ground up by going online, you're going to have to build up that reputation awful fast. Yeah, people are looking at Wingstop and saying, I want some of that, right? Mm-hmm. There's no question about it. Oh, and everybody does want some of that. But you know what? Wingstop spent years and years and years and years building that. Mm-hmm. It didn't happen overnight. They already had, um, you know, a set of guests that were regulars, that were frequents, um, and they already had that usage sort of ingrained in those guests' minds, okay? It's mm-hmm. really easy. We've made it really easy to digitally interact with our brand, and that was, you know, part of the reason that they're successful. It's a right place, right time, right food. I'm stressed. I want comfort food. Wings are great comfort food. Wings I already, uh, uh, as a consumer, I already think about wings in the context of feeding a larger party because just that word party and wings have always gone together in my mind, right? So if Mm -hmm. I'm trying to feed a family, they've already been structured this way in my mind for years. It's sold, um, you know, in large quantities. So this is for four people. This is for eight people. It's already priced that way. I already know the value equation in my mind as a consumer coming into this. So it all makes sense that wings would be this thing um, that 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 would really do well. But you know, is it just now everybody thinks that if I do wings, I'm going to be able to duplicate that? Oh, if 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 all of a sudden I do chicken sandwiches, can I be as big as Chick Fil A? Um, you know, very reminiscent of, of everybody throwing chicken sandwiches on their menu in the wake of, of the success that Popeye's enjoyed, right. uh, you know, starting in 2019. Yeah. It's, um, it's interesting. I, and, and, and I do want to make sure that I, that I point out, you know, the, the reason that some people would get involved in this type of an activity because they're, 
there are, are financial positives to be had. Granted, I, I don't know what the long term looks like, but if mm-hmm. you kind of sit down and look at the math, let's just let's just say, for example, average daily sales. These are numbers that uh, um, I'm looking at in the context of um, of Wowbow, who's doing it a little different. You know, they're sort of putting their items into other people's restaurants. Yeah. And let's bear in mind, this is somebody that may already have a name for uh, you know for what they do. So, you know, the, 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 the revenue that a restaurant might generate by all of a sudden opening themselves up to selling some of these wow-bow items um, out of their kitchens. Let's just say the average daily sales is around 400 bucks, mm-hmm. right, for those items. That's pretty good revenue, 150000 give or take, per year. Now, this is only going to make sense if that is 100% incremental. Right. If it is, if it's... Uh, um, cannibalizing something that's on my own menu, if it's cannibalizing labor or space or some other cost, uh-uh, I, I, I'm not interested. Um, so it needs right. to be, you know, zero additional cost. Now, if the cost of goods sold for this particular item is about 30%, again, just for sake of argument, about 30%, and then we know 30% off the top is going to the delivery fees, that's a good margin, 40% margin, that's a strong margin, right, right, for something that you really didn't need to do an awful lot to do. But again, it assumes that zero additional costs. So that's what is that? Uh, you know, that'd be the equivalent of about four hundred thousand in annual sales at fifteen percent, which is maybe a little bit more mm-hmm. on average. But how do you build that over time? Can you continue to elevate your own value proposition, your own brand strengths in an efficient way, and once on-premise returns? Does that dilute your ability to do what it is that you set out to do? Right. Now, think about this as well. So, yeah, you're diluting, you know, what it is that you're doing from a, an execution standpoint. Mm-hmm. But also, think about your labor pool. More and more, you know, you, 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 we, we're very familiar with Gen Z and how they operate and how they think and whatnot. There needs to be a lot of buy-in. Um, in the Gen Z workforce. <clears throat> and the reason for that is not that they you know, need to be explained why they got to do something. They understand that there's work to be done here. Yeah. But that work needs to have meaning. How does, hey, we're just trying to make more money, fit into a core mission statement? How does that, that fit into you know, a company's core values as a part of their overall mission as a company. If it's just to make more money and that's all we're here to do and you're trying to be transparent, I just think that's going to be a struggle to get buy-in from a younger workforce that, as I said, is very engaged in shopping with their values and wanting to work with their values. So the math makes sense, but I just, I still see issues with this. Yeah. Yeah. And then like you mentioned, you know, one of the concerns that I have is that if you are running now, you're running multiple brands out of your single kitchen, are you going to take away from, you know, the work being done on your existing customers that are coming into your existing restaurant? And are you, um, you know, are you taking your eye off the 90% of your revenue to do a good job on this 10%? And... (laughs) Is it right? I mean, it's, it's, you know, that's a potential issue. And then you've got S, you know, I mean, you know, and then you have supply issues, you know, I mean, how many SKUs are you going to add a lot of SKUs into your restaurant? Um, Do you Uh have, you have to suddenly train your employees on how to do these new products? Um, 
uh, and um, and then and then take these these new orders. And to to me, I mean, it, it you are creating potential operational ed headaches inside your. If this is, you're running a virtual brand inside your existing restaurant, which I think is where the trend yep. is going. I mean, I think ghost kitchens are a completely another conversation, and and I mean they're right. they're, they're part of it. I mean, absolutely. Um, uh, but like, if you're going to run it out of your existing kitchen, you have potential to cause some real headaches inside yeah. that inside your operations, and it could potentially take away from the sales that you generate. You know, your your existing consumer sales, and so so what a lot of this reminds me of, and and you remember, I'm sure you remember this trend is is co branding. Yeah. And um, and you remember that like all of these companies jumped on board, and you you mentioned oh boy. You mentioned the veto <laughs> vote early on in this, and that always just gives me nightmares. Every time somebody, I always have like a like a physical reaction anytime I hear that see the word, hear the word veto vote because like so many restaurants, so many stupid, stupid, stupid ideas in the restaurant industry have come forward because somebody was worried about the customer that they don't have, and then they forget about the customer that they do. And it, it, it's just. It is it 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 it's become such a problem, I, I yeah. think. And then you, yeah, you squander that eighty percent looking mm-hmm. for that extra twenty percent. Right. Yeah. And you're you're worried about you know you're you're worried about these incremental sales. And I'm look. I I know it's it's. I mean, there's it's a, to me it's so, it you know it's a low risk idea. It's not no risk. And you're risking your existing customers. And you have to be very very mindful of that if you're going into a virtual brand, in my opinion. Yeah, you, you do, and and you know the 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 uh, I think you hit it on the head. What are you? What are the costs uh, uh, that you're incurring that you're not seeing? In again, diluting the quality of what's coming out of your kitchen, the quality of the service, both for your on and off premise of your core brand. Um, but but then there's that that like I said, that issue of of trust. So we you know trust is a big deal. We asked consumers, you know, because most of these virtual brands are really only going to be available on third party. That's kind of the setup for this. It's mm-hmm. you're accessing these things, and 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 the way that that these companies are naming their brands, they're making it very easy to find us. We're called, you know, the the Burger Guys or whatever it is, so that it's easy. It pops on a search for local burgers, um, and and that's great. But but restaurant direct versus third party still shows us uh, from a, a, a data perspective that consumers, they're coming around, but they certainly are not yet to that point where third party comes first. As a matter mm-hmm. of fact, when asked about that preference, we see that 54% overall say that they prefer restaurant direct. Only mm-hmm. 8%, eight, just eight, say they prefer third party. Now, 38% say they don't have a preference, mm-hmm. and that's important. But what's interesting to note here is that um, although, you know, the assumption is that uh, all your younger consumers are going to um, be the ones who are, are uh, you know, they're, they're more interested in that third-party specific, and that, that definitely holds true to a degree. Um, but that doesn't mean that they, uh, the percentage that still prefer restaurant direct isn't just as strong. 25 to 34 year olds, it's the same number. 35 to 44 uh, year olds, it's a higher number. So it's above that 54%. Um, you have more that are saying, yeah, I, I, I prefer 
uh, third party, but you have the same amount saying that they prefer restaurant direct. And it comes back to that idea of trust. The follow-up questions about this, asking about why, it's all about reliability and trust. And to an even bigger point that we can make about this in the current environment, so many of those comments say, I just want to see that restaurant brand get all the money. Mm -hmm. I don't see a need to pay a middleman. I want my favorite restaurants to have all those dollars. I trust they're going to do it right. Um, you know, and I, I have a relationship with this brand and whatnot. It's just hard to build that when you're dealing exclusively through through third party. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the uh, go, go ahead. ahead. Yeah. Now I was going to say the other thing that that we've got here to uh, uh, that I just I feel like I really want to say this one in particular about um, you know likeliness to order from. Uh, third-party delivery platform. If you know that this restaurant is, in fact, a uh, um, uh, uh, is a virtual restaurant that has no physical location, when we asked this question, we 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 gave respondents a uh, series of options. You know, from extremely likely all the way down to not likely at all. Um, and so, overall, the the a good decent majority here kind of fall into those middle two responses, somewhat likely or somewhat not likely. So overall, 43% are right up that pipe right there. Somewhat likely, somewhat not likely. That, that signals there's some hesitation there, right? right? I'm not sold on it just yet. Now, if you go to 18 to 34-year-olds, that's 49%. Almost half of 18 to 34-year-olds are saying, eh, I don't know. Hmm. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not sold on it yet. There's this hesitancy that, that's yeah. there. And it's not exclusive to that older cohort that is perhaps more traditionally engaging with restaurants in a way that they, they always have. So right. there's, there's just yet to be the consumer um, uh, tailwind behind this thing when we look at what, what our data is telling us thus far. And I think most importantly, this is, should give us pause because, you know, well, consumers say one thing but then do another. Are, are, are we really seeing that some of these uh, virtual restaurant brands are, are taking off? Um, you know, all I can read about if I try to find out information about Pasquale's and the Chuck E. Cheese brand is that people feel duped. Yeah. Um, you know, and some of the brands have been a little bit more transparent about it, and that's great. But um, isn't that more of a branding issue? If you feel right. you need to rebrand what you're doing and, and say, well, they're still, you know, the same wings we've always sold, but now we're selling them out, out the back uh, under a different name. Is that, I mean, how different is that from bait and switch? Or is that really a way to build trust yeah. with consumers? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that that's, yeah, it, it's, you know, you have, you definitely have an issue with your brand if you have to create a fake, <laughs> a new one uh, for, you know, to, to, to generate. I mean, in theory, if you have a restaurant brand that is has a national presence and you have all of these brick and mortar locations why wouldn't you just advertise your you know your typical brand instead of creating a separate one with the same food i it's i mean yeah i mean that one have we seen that work i mean you think about it ihop rolled out a a, a fast casual concept recently and i don't really know what the success was or was not as far as that's concerned but i haven't really seen much about it since yeah. um you know it's it's uh, i believe they called it flipped by ihop right yeah. so so yeah you're you're working on leveraging your name but you're trying to recreate it um you know is is that a brand issue 
Yeah. Uh, you know, what makes you think that all of a sudden now we're, um, you know, we should we should change the name, change the uniform, change the sign, um, but not change fundamentally what we're doing, and somehow consumers will perceive us differently. It's 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 a strange way of thinking about it to my mind. Yeah. As a rule, I think sub-brands, secondary brands generally don't thrive. I mean, they generally don't work very well. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's not, uh, you know, like an express in it very, very I, I can't even remember, like, you know, we like the whole express versions of your existing brand. CPK ASAP. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, I mean, I think Denny's has had one. I mean, I think the, the most, kind of the most notable, the theoretically most successful one, uh, well, it was, you know, was Pi 5. If you remember, Pizza Inn did a, did an express unit. They, they created an express version of the brand and it became sort of a, and it sort of became a pioneer of fast casual pizza. And then Pi 5 is just, it's just, you know, not worked. It, it's just not, you know, and it's, it's yeah. been struggling for years. So I, I, I mean, these things don't, you know, I mean, they might get some, you might get some customers coming in early on. So it can be problematic long term. Um, uh, you know, and, you know, I, I just don't know that, like, and again, the chicken wings example, you know, your restaurant teams are not really focused on chicken wings. One of the reasons why Wingstop works so well is just, you know, or Domino's, like a perfect example, really, of like Domino's in theory, you could mention it's like the first delivery only brand, right? But it only does pizza. That's it. That's the only thing that its restaurant teams do is pizza. I mean, well, they do a bunch of other things now, but still. Sure. Like, it's still really just the same sort of process, and it's still the vast majority of it is pizza. And Mm -hmm. they're very, very, very good at it. And, you know, they really kind of keep it pretty narrow in in those terms. And, of course, the the other issue, of course, is that Domino's controls all of the the delivery and all that other stuff. And and so, you know, they can do very well. They can, and that's that's how they build that relationship and that mm-hmm. trust with the consumer. I mean, you know, they're they're rolling out the delivery insurance the way they did yeah. uh, last year. I mean, things like that. Those th- that doesn't just speak to consumers; that screams at consumers. We are trustworthy, yeah. and that's you know that builds that equity. It's it's yeah. I, I think it's a fabulous way of doing it. And I think you hit on something else. You said, you know, th- this focus on what they do. This half of the success in my mind of of, of fast casual as a segment is that laser focus that so many concepts placed on that one thing that they do. Raising Cane's has, what, five things on the menu, right? Phenomenally successful, super craveable mm-hmm. item, delivered in an incredibly friendly way, just, you know, really hitting all, uh, checking all the boxes from a guest experience yeah. standpoint, and, 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 and simplicity, you know, mm-hmm. one sauce, really. So that that's, and that's, you know, I mentioned it early on the paradox, uh, uh, the the paradox of choice. Mm-hmm. That just, just circumnavigates that perfectly. Well, this is what we do, and this is who we are. Don't make any mistake about it. Oh, by the way, if you're interested in a burger, don't come here because we don't have yeah. any. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, right. But you'll love what we do have when you come. So it's just it's fascinating um, to to see how those brands succeed. And and I keep I just keep trying to find more more reasons to be positive about virtual brands. And I, I keep struggling because I'm trying to think past the pandemic. Mm-hmm. This could work for people right now and could maybe keep the right. lights on. But long-term, 
I, I struggle to uh, to envision uh, you know an operator landscape or a world where where this is uh, still a part of their their overall uh, business model. Yeah, yeah. I get a little concerned about making uh, long term business decisions based upon uh, what's so far been a six month trend or uh, six month <laughs> issue. And yeah, I mean, I know that virtual brands were around before this and, you know, yeah. like deliveries and takeouts, a long-term trend, da, 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 da. Um, but like, I, I get concerned that a lot of businesses are making, making long-term decisions based upon what's happened purely during the pandemic. And we really don't know how consumers are going to react permanently to all of this. And yeah, uh, uh, you hear people yeah. talk about the new normal and it's, we're not there yet. No, we're, we're not even post pandemic yet. We're very much mid-pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's just there's so many other things that that need to be uh, um, that need to happen before mm-hmm. um, we can we can call this a success or or anything else for that matter. But yeah, um, yeah I, you know, in the short term, as I said, I can absolutely see where people have uh, uh, slack and and have the ability to do this, and as I said, kind of keep the lights on. But then where does it become problematic? You know, those, those low-volume units, they could do this for now, but what about when they become high-volume units again? Right. What, what happens then? Yeah. And, and any time and energy that you've spent building that, which is time and energy you could have spent building your own brand, mm-hmm. where, where does that go? Yeah, right. So we spent 30-plus minutes roughly we bashing. We could keep going, on, right? Yeah, we could keep going <laughs> bashing on virtual brands. It's inevitable, Robert, that I am going to hear from someone who is really pro virtual brand and you are welcome yep. to come on and try to change my mind. You probably won't though. I'm pretty stubborn. <laughs> Sir, this has been fantastic. I really appreciate you joining uh, us this week on the podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure. Every single time I have fun and like I said, I could just keep going. <laughs> Before we go today, I would like to put in a plug for a new podcast, RB Daily. It's three minutes of the most important news of the day, every weekday, from the editors of Restaurant Business. Please check it out on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And that's it for this week's episode of A Deeper Dive, which was edited by Kimberly Kazmarek. Artwork by Nico Hines and Sarah Stewart. You can find this and other episodes of A Deeper Dive on our website at www.restaurantbusinessonline.com backslash article backslash deeper dash dive you may also subscribe on apple podcasts or spotify or wherever you get your podcasts i'm jonathan mays your host and the podcast producer thank you for listening